This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to another episode of Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to professionals from museums, cultural, genealogical, and historical societies across the United States. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. Good day, everyone. Thank you for being here. We have a great program for you today. You know, with every episode of Preservation Oaks, we embark on a journey through the diverse landscapes and vibrant stories of the United States, one state at a time. This is the first episode in one of our great lake states, the great state of Michigan. Nestled in the heart of the Midwest, Michigan is a place where the past and present coalesce offering a tapestry of history, culture, and natural beauty. From the bustling urban energy of cities like Detroit, Lansing, and Grand Rapids to the serene shores of the Great Lakes, Michigan captivates with its unique blend of industry, innovation, and recreational wonders. Home to the iconic Motown sound, the automotive industry, and a rich Native American and European heritage, this state has left an indelible mark on the American culture. Join us as we explore the historic wonders of the Upper Peninsula, the vibrant art scene in Ann Arbor, and the maritime charm of the coastal towns. Michigan isn't just a state. It's a collection of American historic and wonderful stories waiting to be told by our expert guests. So buckle up and get ready to dive into the spirit of the Wolverine State, where the lakes are great, the landscapes are diverse, and the people are as resilient as the waves that crash upon its shores. This is Preservation Oaks, and over the next several episodes, we're about to discover the essence of Michigan together. For this episode, we greet a very special person, Miss Jeanette Gutierrez is the president of the Michigan Willow Run chapter of the American Rosie the Riveter Association. The American Rosie the Riveter Association, or ARA, A-R-R-A, was founded by the World War II Rosies themselves in 1998. It's a 501c3 not-for-profit corporation. Their purposes are to recognize and preserve the history and legacy of working women including volunteer women, during World War II, to promote cooperation and fellowship among such members and their descendants, and to further the advancement of patriotic ideals, excellence in the workplace, and loyalty to the United States of America. Jeanette's Michigan Willow Run chapter of ARA 
seeks to provide fellowship for the living World War II Rosies and provide opportunities for people of all generations to meet, greet, honor, and learn from these very special ladies and their friends, the World War II veterans who have so much to teach and inspire all of us. The chapter also preserves the legacy with educational presentations and online content creation. By the end of this episode, my hope is that you will definitely want to join them in their mission and to honor as many of the Rosies of World War II as possible while they're still with us. I'm Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and I'm coming to you from Salt Lake City, and this is Preservation Oaks, the internationally syndicated original talk program on MicroStream Radio, where we feature information about museums, cultural and heritage institutions, associations, historical and genealogical societies, and history-focused media creators across the United States. By the way, our main platform is preservationoaks.podbean.com, but you can find us on nearly all podcast platforms, as well as Rumble, Getter, Minds, TikTok, Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube. So wherever you listen to the program, I appreciate it very much when you like, comment, follow, or subscribe. If you'd like your organization to be featured as our guest on the program, or if you have questions or comments about the program, spin off an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. Hey folks, we just started our first ever contest. It's on the Preservation Oaks podcast Facebook page, and I ask listeners to guess which state we're going to after our travels come to an end in Michigan. Just place your guess into the comments on Facebook. The winner will be contacted to do a promotional spot on the podcast, so if you're up for that, by all means, give it a go. On our next episode of Preservation Oaks, we meet with Mr. Dan Truckee from the Beaumere Upper Peninsula Heritage Center of Northern Michigan University. The Beaumere Upper Peninsula Heritage Center is a historical museum and educational facility on the campus of Northern Michigan University. The mission of the UP Heritage Center is to promote and preserve the history and culture of the Upper Peninsula through exhibitions and engaging public programs for the whole region. The center also collects and preserves artifacts related to the history of Northern Michigan University. The center maintains a gallery in Grease Hall and several other displays throughout campus. I'm really looking forward to meeting with Dan Truckee to learn more about this important institution and how it serves the community of Marquette, Michigan. All right, that being said, let's get this show snapping. Our historical January events for this episode. Happy birthday on January 21st to Ethan Allen, who lived from 1738 to 1789. He was born in Litchfield, Connecticut. He was a hero of the American Revolution who led a small force that captured Fort Ticonderoga in New York without bloodshed in 1775. The fort contained much-needed supplies and ammunition for the Americans. On January 23, 1849, Elizabeth Blackwell was awarded her M.D. by the Medical Institute of Geneva, New York, thus becoming America's first woman doctor. On January 23, 1907, Charles Curtis of Kansas became the first person of Native American ancestry to serve in the U.S. Senate. He later served as vice president under President Herbert Hoover from 1929 to 33. 
On January 26, 1994, Romania became the first former Soviet Union nation to join the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, following the collapse of the Soviet Union. Happy birthday on January 29th to common sense author Thomas Paine, who lived from 1737 to 1809. He was born in Thetford, England. His pamphlet, published in 1776, provided inspiration to undecided Americans that a new nation, independent from Britain, might eventually become an asylum for mankind. He served in the Continental Army and observed the hardships of American troops fighting the world's most powerful army of the time. He then published the Crisis series of pamphlets, which began by stating, these are the times that try men's souls. He refused to accept the profits from his writings and wound up destitute after the revolution. Hey, I want to say a big thank you to HistoryPlace.com for this episode's historic events. All right, let's drink some tea, some Twining's tea. Love Twining's tea. Now, anybody who has anything but a cursory knowledge of the history of World War II knows about the unique story about Rosie the Riveter in the United States. Rosie the Riveter was not a real person. Rather, she is a symbolic figure created to represent the women who worked in factories and shipyards during World War II. These women took the place of the men who went off to fight in the war. They came from every walk of life, and they did every type of job, from making planes, tanks, radios, ships, parachutes, uniforms, to food rations. The term Rosie the Riveter was popularized by a song of the same name written by Red Evans and John Jacob Loeb in 1942. The song was later recorded by several artists contributing to its widespread recognition, and we'll play that song during one of our breaks. The iconic image associated with Rosie the Riveter is a poster featuring a strong and determined-looking woman with the caption, We Can Do It. This poster was created by J. Howard Miller in 1943 and was intended to boost morale and has come to represent the many women who took on jobs in the defense industry while the men were at war. While the image is not a depiction of a specific person, it has come to symbolize the contributions and capabilities of the millions of women who entered the workforce during World War II and played a crucial role in the war effort. The legacy of Rosie the Riveter extends beyond the wartime period, becoming an enduring symbol of women's empowerment and the changing role of women in the workforce. And that's what we're going to talk about with our special guest, Jeanette Guterres, today. Here's a bio of our guest. Jeanette Guterres is a retired advertising professional and occasional journalist who is currently focused on her volunteer work with the American Rosie the Riveter Association, or ARA. ARA seeks to honor the living Rosies and veterans of World War II and preserve their legacy for future generations. Jeanette is a lifelong Michigander and proud resident of Ypsilanti, home of Ford's legendary Willow Run Bomber Plant. Okay. Welcome to the program, Jeanette. Hey, thanks for having me on, Sean. How are you today? I am doing really good. It's a little chilly here in Michigan, but we know how to handle it. Have you had lots of snow this year? 
No, we haven't. Uh, we're getting a lot of rain right now, which was supposed to have been snow, but we'll we'll take <laughs> we'll take whatever we get. Whereabouts are you in Michigan anyway? Well, I am in Ypsilanti, which is near our bigger sister Ann Arbor, and not too far away at all from Detroit, the mighty Motor City. And we are lucky in that Southeast Michigan was kind of the beating heart of the arsenal of democracy during World War II. So there's a lot of rosy history here. Oh, very cool. I am so jealous of you, Jeanette. You're in such a unique position by being able to interact so closely with the real rosies of Michigan. You've really had such an opportunity to hear all the stories and learn things others just can't. Are you planning to write a book about what you've learned? Oh, my goodness. I probably should, and I certainly think about it all the time, but whether it's going to happen or not, <laughs> I don't really know. So I just settle for writing an occasional article at this point and just enjoying hearing the stories. I hope you do write a book at some point. You've got knowledge that just can't be replicated in any way. Yeah, that firsthand knowledge is so important. And it really brings history to life in a way that history books and great men and great women and their doings and charts and maps and the individual stories really bring it to life in a special way. I know. And to be able to talk to the Rosies every day and to sit and yeah. talk with them about their experiences, that's wonderful. Yeah. Especially right there in the heart of the war production zone in Michigan. Oh, yeah. It's just a wonderful history to have around you all the time in big ways and even in little ways. And you talk about big ways and little ways right here in Michigan in Ypsilanti. We were the home of the famous Willow Run bomber plant where over 8,000 B-24 Liberator bombers were made during World War II. And Willow Run was famous. It was the largest factory under one roof in the world and encompassed three and a half million square feet. It was half a mile long and contained a double assembly line within it. So that together made for a mile long assembly line. And it was just really well known as a marvel of the industrial world. So that's right here in Ypsilanti. And that's pretty big. And then also here in Ypsilanti, we have a little bar on the corner downtown called the Tap Room, which has been operating since World War II and maybe a little before. And the doorknob on the tap room is set really, really low. Like you sort of have to reach down to open the door. And that's because during the war, they had little people from, you know, circuses. They recruited them from circuses and Hollywood. Some of the munchkins came out to Willow Run store because they needed small people to get inside the airplanes in places where, a, you know, a larger person could not go. So the little people were important at Willow Run. There were 10 of them working there doing things that others couldn't. And after work, they wanted to go out and get a drink, you know, with their coworkers, just like everyone else. So the tap room moved the door handle a couple feet lower so they could get in and out really easily. Oh, my darn. I'll tell you what creative people we are. Yep. Americans are. <laughs> Talk about working together. Yeah, amazing. Right? So you're part of the American Rosie the Riveter Association, Michigan Willow Run Chapter. 
And there's a parent organization, American Rosie, the Riveter Association. Then there's the Michigan Willow Run Chapter. What's the history of the Willow Run Chapter? Yeah, well, we started, we had our first chapter meeting in January of 2014. And our national president at the time, Donalene Langtree, was from Michigan. And she wanted to start a proper chapter here in Michigan. And I got involved. Well, actually, I got involved when, as part of my work, I'm retired now, but I was in long time, you know, over 30 year career as an advertising professional. And as part of a campaign and a publicity event that I was involved in organizing, a busload of little old Rosie the Riveters were invited to the event along with Donalene, and they were from the American Rosie the Riveter Association, and I just fell in love with these women. So I kind of stayed connected with the organization and officially joined it two years later and got involved with, you know, the local Willow Run chapter, which was by then up and running. And that's how it began, and that's how I got involved. Well, fantastic. I'm glad you did. You seem to have such a passion for it. And again, I'm very jealous of your relationship with the Rosies because you've got all that knowledge. Now, how can someone join the ARRA, the American Rosie the Riveter Association, and become a member and part of the fund? It is real easy. Go online to our national organization's website, www.rosytheriveter.net and tab over to membership and there is an online membership application or you can download a pdf to print out and mail and you can join in several categories you can join as a rosie if you are one of our amazing world war ii rosies you can join as a rosebud and that's a female descendant of a rosie a male descendant of a rosie is a rivet and Then we have membership categories of 21st century Rosie, and that's a woman who works in a field that was formerly considered men's work. So I guess I might be considered a 21st century Rosie because I worked in advertising. We have other 20th century Rosies who are engineers or work in a factory. You know, anything that was considered men's work before the Rosies, Rosie the Riveters got a hold of it, right? And then the Other, the last category is you can join as a friend of Rosie, and that's just anyone who loves Rosie the Riveter as much as we do. Um, You mean men can join? Absolutely, as a friend of Rosie or as a rivet. Oh, wow, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, and our, our rivet members, we just love our rivet members. Of course, there's more rosebuds than rivets in our group, but our rivets are so special, and they're there to honor their moms. Wow, that's cool. What's the benefits of becoming a member of the association? Well, we have a quarterly, oh, and it's it's just a one-time membership fee. It's around $30 or so. Oh, and I also want to mention that you can, if you have a Rosie in your family that is deceased, you can register her on our deceased, in our deceased Rosie registry. And that me, along with her work history, whatever you can remember of it, where she worked, what job she did whatever the family can remember. And that means she is permanently in our database as a known Rosie the Riveter documented with as much as the family can remember about her service. 
and that is a um, that is a resource that we are seeking to create for future genealogical researchers and for historians. But getting back to your question of the benefits, so once you join, it's a one-time fee, doesn't cost much, and you can then join your local chapter and join in the chapter fun and doings uh, if, if there's a local chapter near you. And then you get the uh, national newsletter, our quarterly newsletter, where you find out about our national programs and the doings of other chapters. And then every year we have an annual convention. Last year it was in Portland, Oregon. It was a lot of fun. We had 13 Living Rosies present and lots of rosebuds and rivets and 21st century rosies and rosy friends. And this year the convention is in Nashville, Tennessee. And it's in early June. So, you know, you're welcome to come to the convention and participate in all of the things that we do to honor Rosie. Wow, very cool. Can you share a memorable story of a Rosie the Riveter that particularly touched your heart and exemplifies the spirit of the time or of your organization? I think probably the best story that illustrates the spirit of the Rosies is one of our Rosies, Helen. Van Dyke was her name. She is still alive, and she is 102. And she worked at the Chrysler DeSoto plant in Dearborn, Michigan, and she was very happy and excited and committed to working there because her husband was in the war. And she worked so hard at her job that her supervisor came to her and said, you're messing up the line. You're working too fast. And she said, there's no such thing as too fast. I'm trying to get the boys home. So that was their that was their attitude. That was why they were doing it. And that was the spirit that they brought to their work. Yeah, I've heard stories similar to that in the past. They, there was a lot of adjustment that had to be done, you know, with the women coming in. And they were very energized from what I've heard. Yeah, they definitely were. Another quote that I love is a quote from a Rosie that a Rosie gave at the time when being interviewed about her work. She said, my brother's in the army, and now I figure I'm in the fight, too. Yeah, absolutely. And they were. Yeah. From what you've learned about the Rosies, how do you think the legacy of the Rosies has influenced the perception of women in the workforce today? I think it changed the perception of women in the workforce completely. It was a bit of a hard sell to get women in the workforce, and the government knew that it would be a hard sell, and they launched a a massive propaganda campaign to let people know that women were needed and that women could do this work and, you know, that we wanted and needed women to do this work. And the women themselves weren't even sure that they could do this work. Men weren't sure that they could do it. And throughout the course of the war, the women proved that, yes, indeed, we can do it. And they performed really well, admirably. And even to the point where the um, Secretary of War, Donald Nelson, said that what had happened in the factories during World War II was nothing short of a production miracle and that it could not have happened without Rosie the Riveter. So, you know, people came out of that war with a picture of women that included the idea that they can pretty much do anything. And 
even though we tried to go back to business as normal, and we did go back to business as normal, and, and there were a lot of reasons for that. You know, the factory jobs were given back to the returning soldiers. A lot of the Rosies, you know, went back into the home and raised families, which was what a lot of them wanted to do. They never lost that knowledge. And that's something that I hear when I talk to the Rosies. They really never lost that confidence in themselves or that knowledge that they can do anything, whether they remained in the workforce or not. And when the 60s, you know, all of the um, questioning and societal change of the 60s came around and the women's movement started, this generation, the Rosie the Riveter generation, was very supportive of their daughters. Yeah, you can do anything, honey, go for it. They planted, they didn't start the women's movement of the 60s and 70s, but they planted the seeds for it. And it was what they did during World War II that made it possible for women like me to have the careers that I had. Do you think if we had another large scale war today that the women would do the same kind of thing? Oh, I think they would. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think today, I think women would kind of expect to be involved and important. And I think as women, we would ask ourselves, you know, what can we do to help end this world war where there's such a, where there's such a war going on? Right. I mean, it's a little different today because so many women are working outside the home, which they yeah. weren't, if I understand it correctly, they weren't back then. Absolutely. Six million women joined the workforce during the years of World War II. Yeah, wow. Yeah, both both to work in the war production factories and to replace men in various civilian essential jobs when the men went off to war. So they were bus drivers and shipping clerks and department store Santas. They, they just did all kinds of things. Amazing. Yeah, and our organization, the American Rosie the Riveter Association, considers those women, too, to be Rosie the Riveters. A woman who took over a job that was considered at the time men's work because she was needed. Right, absolutely. So when they dived in there, what lesser-known challenges did women face while working in factories during World War II, and how did they overcome them? I think the, the main challenge was people just not really picturing them doing, you know, men's work. Yeah, I guess I guess in a small way it's illustrated by so many of my rosies telling me that when they started to work in the factory, they were, you know, either given a uniform or given a dress code that included pants. And for a lot of them, that was the first time they'd ever put on a pair of pants in their life. Uh, okay. And and then oh no, another story that is, is funny and strikes me is one of the gals I know who's still alive at a hundred years old will be turning 101 this summer, was one of the first three women hired at the Willow Run Bomber Plant. She and her girlfriend, you know, graduated from high school, and they were the second and third gals hired to work there. And for the first few weeks of their employ, whenever they had to use the restroom or get a drink of water, they were escorted by a matron for their safety. <laughs> so people were just afraid that men couldn't handle working side by side with women or that people, you know, it was just, they thought people wouldn't know how to act. But very quickly, it became apparent that the escorts were not necessary at all and they stopped. And then a, another thing is I've seen a 
handbook put out by the government, by the War Production Department, aimed at supervisors, titled How to Supervise Women. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, it, and it contained the reassuring message that women are teachable. so people were just really not prepared for this and the women themselves also you know they were you know there were quotes of of women and girls at the time saying things like i just thought to myself i'm too young and little to do this job and so i sat there and cried for about 15 minutes and then i thought to myself well i'm just going to do it anyway and lo and behold i got better and better as I went along. So it was a real confidence builder for them too. You know, they didn't, they weren't sure they could do that rough, tough kind of, kind of work. And they discovered that they could. Yeah. That was my mom as well. She was, she was only five foot, I don't know, five foot two, five. I mean, she was a small petite lady and she would just roll up her sleeves and nothing stopped her. Nothing. Yeah. 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 And those girls found that in themselves. Some of them probably knew it all along. Farm girls, right? Yeah. You know how to get stuff done. But, you know, a lot of girls were like, oh, I don't know if I can do this, but they need me and it's good money and and my brother's in the war and I'm going to do it. And they proved to themselves as well as the, as the rest of us that we can do it. Absolutely. Now, in talking with the Rosies and your relationships with them, would you say that beyond the iconic poster, which we all know of Rosie the Riveter, with her muscles showing and her arm clenched, I guess, do they recognize any other forgotten or underrepresented symbols or figures from the World War II era that deserve more recognition? I think there are a lot there are a lot of figures from that era that deserve recognition because it was a time of great unity in our country and everyone stepped forward you know the women and girls stepping forward into jobs they weren't familiar with or didn't associate with femininity and their role as women they did it the tuskegee airmen of whom we have we have a really active tuskegee chapter here in detroit and i've had the incredible honor and pleasure of meeting many of the tuskegee airmen and that they stepped up to serve their country in such a, a stellar way and proved to doubters that African-American men can fly yeah. <laughs> as well or, or better than anyone. Now, why that, would you have a Tuskegee, I mean, a very vibrant Tuskegee organization in Michigan when Tuskegee is in the South? Yeah, well, that's that was the um, the program, the the pilot training program was centered at the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, but they recruited, you know, African American young men from everywhere, and there was quite an African American uh, population at the time in Detroit. Of course, and they found many of these stellar individuals in Detroit who went down to Tuskegee for training, and you know, then returned to the Detroit area after the war. And I just think the Tuskegee story is amazing because there were people that just literally didn't think that African-American men could fly a plane. And they they proved otherwise. I've spoken to men from the bomber squadrons who talk about being escorted on missions by the Tuskegee's. And they called them, they were nicknamed the Red Tails, but the bomber crews called them the Red Tail Angels because they knew that with a Tuskegee escort, 
they were just as safe as they could possibly be. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing what we thought, all these things that we thought women can't yeah. work and black men can't do this and so yeah. on. I wonder what kind of those things we think today that we're not even aware of, you know? I know. And, you know, when I talk to younger groups, I have to realize, like, I'm, you know, I'm a 70s gal, so I sort of remember, you know, I sort of cross both worlds, right? And, but I I don't know if younger people are really aware of these huge roadblocks, you know, that people face as individuals back in that era. So I always kind of have to be careful to explain, well, Women were expected to be homemakers and, you know, yeah. so forth. Speaking of people of color, how did the experience of women of color working in factories during World War II differ from that of their white counterparts? And what can we learn from those differences? Oh, well, that, that was a slice of history, too. And there's bad and good, you know, good that came out of it. Certainly, I have read and heard stories of African-American women being assigned the worst and dirtiest and most dangerous jobs in the factories, particularly in the shipyards, probably because two reasons. <laughs> There's some really dangerous work in the shipyards and also because in the older industries, you saw sort of more traditional discrimination, you know, more resistance to women entering the workforce in the, in the older industries and in factories and more discrimination against African-Americans. In the aircraft industry, which was a brand new industry, there was no aircraft industry before World War II. Uh -huh. There were airplanes. They were built from scratch by hand from the ground up. So it would take three months to build a bomber, just sitting there in one spot with workmen clustered around it, building it. And it was the war and it was the uh, Detroit auto industry and particularly Henry Ford, who put airplanes on an assembly line by saying, hey, you know, we can build these things assembly line style like we build cars. And the aircraft manufacturers, the fledgling aircraft industry at the time said, no, you can't. You can't do that. Yes, we can. We can, in fact, I, I'll bet you we can build a bomber an hour. And it took them two years, which is not very long at all, to both build a bomber plant and get an assembly line up and running and start producing a bomber an hour at the Willow Run Bomber Plant. So and that was an amazing, amazing revolution in manufacturing. So where I was going with that is that the aircraft industry was brand new, and there was more equality and acceptance in the aircraft industry. So, you know, I do know of a couple of African-American Rosie Riveters who worked in the aircraft industry and they did not speak of discrimination and they were given, you know, the same jobs as the white gals. So, you know, certainly some of the African-American Rosie's experience reflected those times in a way that, you know, we're not really proud of. But the good that came from it is um, particularly in the aircraft industry, white and black women worked side by side. And for a lot of white women, that was their first exposure to African-Americans. And, you know, of course, they discovered, oh, these are wonderful people. They're just like me. They're, this is my friend. And a really heart-rending and moving 
And bittersweet example of that is civil rights activist Viola Liuzzo, who was, she was a civil rights martyr, actually. She was a white woman who went down to the South in the mid-60s to just work on behalf of the civil rights movement and voting equality, integration of the schools, that kind of thing. And she was shot by the Ku Klux Klan. She was only in her 30s. And you might recognize her name as a, as a figure in the civil rights movement. But she got involved because she worked in a factory in Detroit during the war alongside a Black woman who became her dear friend. Mm-hmm. And then when civil rights kind of became you know, a focus in the 60s, she said, I'm going to do something about this for my friend. Good. Yep. Everybody has to stand up for what's right. Yep. Fantastic. Thank you for that. So, you know, Rosie the Riveter and, you know, going into the factories planted the seeds, or World War II in a lot of ways planted the seeds for the civil rights movement as well. Yeah. So many things changed because of that. Yeah. Because of the Rosies. Amazing. Now, women went into the factories and they did all kinds of things. Are there any specific skills or trades that Rosie's developed during World War II that played a crucial role in their post-war lives and careers? Well, of the six million women that entered the workforce during World War II, two million stayed in the workforce. And as was possible in Detroit with, you know, the post-war boom in the auto industry getting up and running again and going like gangbusters. Some women were even able to keep their jobs in the factories post-war and, you know, pivot along with the factories to producing automobiles. Oh, and in fact, an interesting aside, when polled at the end of the war, close to 70% of the female war production workers, you know, the, the classic Rosie the Riveters, liked their jobs so much they wanted to stay in it. Like that, you know, when asked, would you stay, you know, would you stay in your job? Would you continue to work and do this? Almost 70% of them said, yeah. Of course, nowhere near 70% of them were allowed to stay because the returning soldiers needed their jobs back, you know, and and that made sense to to them. They didn't resent it. And, you know, also, obviously, 30% of them just wanted to, to go home and get married and make babies and start a life. And I've Talk to Rosies who say that too, you know, and that's that's wonderful as well. But some of them, you know, stayed in in their jobs, you know, doing production work or whatever they were doing. And then others will say that the skills that they learned working, you know, that they brought them into more traditional female jobs like teaching, you know, and they'll draw parallels to what I learned, you know, during the war in the factory and and you know how I approach you know, teaching kids and and running a classroom. And then others will even say that what they learned in the factory helped them become better mothers and homemakers and community members and, you know, in in running their, their household lives. So that experience meant a lot to them. And they will tell you how it enhanced their lives going forward. And Oh, and they'll talk about the confidence, you know, just I, after I did that, I felt like I could do anything. Oh, fantastic. Now, Jeanette, I'd like to give the contact information for the association here. 
The Michigan Willow Run chapter can be reached on their website at www.michiganrosies.org. You can find them on Facebook if you look for Michigan Rosies. And the national organization is www.rosytheriveter.net. And I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeanette, but you have to go to the national organization to become a member, right? Yep, that's the first step. And if I get the new member list and I see y'all are in Michigan, I'll just join you up to my chapter automatically. And, um, or you'll be joined up. We have several chapters in Michigan, actually. So, you, you know, you'll, you'll be joined up to the one that's closest to you. And there are never any dues or fees associated with being part of our chapter. Okay. And it's a one-time, not an annual. It's a one-time, one-time? membership. Lifetime membership in the American Rosie the Riveter Association. Wow. That's very cool. Jeanette, the music in the background means it's time for a break for a few minutes. Okay. All right, listeners, we'll be right back after these important messages. And now from February 1943, the popular song at the time, entitled Rosie the Riveter, performed by Alan Miller and his orchestra. The song was written by Red Evans and John Jacob Loeb in 1942. to time travel with us as we dive into the epic saga of World War II. I'm talking about the era where real-life superheroes emerged, 
and they weren't wearing capes, they were rolling up their sleeves, rocking jumpsuits, and getting stuff done. Now, buckle up, because we're taking you straight to the heart of it all. The American Rosie, the Riveter Association. These were the days when women weren't just breaking glass ceilings, they were smashing through them like a wrecking ball. Picture this, camaraderie as thick as wartime tension, social activities that were hotter than a jazz club on a Saturday night. And a group of incredible trailblazers who told a man's job to move over because they were about to show the world that we can do it. But hold on folks, this isn't just history, this is a live-action experience waiting for you. Join the association on a mission. A mission to bridge generations. It's like a time-traveling party where you connect, honor, and learn from the fearless Rosies and their rock star friends, the World War II veterans. Get ready to discover stories that'll give you goosebumps and lessons that echo through the ages. And guess what? You're invited. Don't be the one missing out on this roller coaster of inspiration. Head to www.rosytheriveter.net right now. Yep, right now. And join the movement. Let's honor the legacy of these incredible Rosies who didn't just shape our history, they continue to inspire us, today. Because, my friends, the spirit of the Rosies is alive and kicking. Get ready to explore, engage, and be part of something that's way more than just a page in the history books. It's a celebration of badassery, and you're invited. Head to www.rosytheriveter.net and become a member today. Let's make history together. Bored? Yearning to hear something new? Well, you're about to be satisfied. Picture this. An episode of the Preservation Oaks podcast from Hawaii, where you'll learn about a hidden temple and bathing complex used by the queen and the royal family themselves. Just dripping with intrigue and history. That's all covered in episode two with Dr. Paul Brennan. Now, try to think about something else. Can't, right? Well, you don't have to because Preservation Oaks is available anytime at preservationoaks.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate it very much when you like, subscribe, or follow us to hear every satisfying episode. And now, back to Preservation Oaks. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. We're here today with Ms. Jeanette Gutierrez, the president of the Michigan Willow Run chapter of the American Rosie the Riveter Association. I'm having a great time, Jeanette. Thank you, and let's pick up where we left off. Great. What do the Rosies say about camaraderie? What can modern workplaces learn from the sense of camaraderie and unity that Rosies experienced during the war? Well, there was a lot of camaraderie, you know, in the factories, in the communities. Uh, everyone was working together to end the war and bring the boys home. It was a time of incredible unity in our country. And in the factories, like there were, for example, in any of the big manufacturing centers like, you know, Detroit with the auto industry pivoting to war or out on the coast with the shipyards pivoting to war. 
there was a, a great influx of people from all over the country looking for war jobs, you know, either to make good money or to help help out the country in the war effort or usually both. So our Rosies, you know, some of them came up from the South to the Detroit area to, to get these war jobs. Others were from the Detroit area. Other were Others came down from up north, which is what we call, you know, northern Michigan and Wisconsin, where <laughs> they have a lot more snow <laughs> now than we have here. And so the women in the in the war factories, they were from everywhere and they were working alongside, you know, other young gals from, you know, totally different backgrounds, African-Americans and, and white women working together, country girls and city girls. And they all were friends and they all learned from each other and they all got along and they all helped each other out. Like one Rosie tells about you know, a country girl who just wasn't used to wearing shoes. And she went out and helped her pick out a pair of shoes and, and helped her get used to wearing them. And the camaraderie that they had then, you see it now in our in our living Rosies and how close they are to each other and how much they love each other, you know, even from differing backgrounds and Amazing. how much fun they had together and back then and how much fun they have together now. What happened to the Willow Run plant? Did it, is it still there as a historical monument or did it move to automobile manufacturing? Yeah, after the war, Henry Ford sold the plant back. Ah, oh, how did that go? It the airport changed hands for a dollar and oh. uh, the plant itself was sold to Kaiser Fraser who retooled it to build cars and in the occasional airplane after the war. And then in the post-war economic boom, automobile manufacturing just skyrocketed. And after a few years of building Kaiser Fraser cars at the Willow Run Bomber plant, it was taken over by General Motors as their transmission plant. So Transmissions for all of the General Motors models were built at Willow Run up until 2010, when GM restructured and had no more use for the for the Willow Run. You know, it was formerly the Willow Run bomber plant and had been the GM hydromatic facility for years. And in the meantime, had grown from three and a half million square feet to five and a half million square feet. It was a gigantic factory. And so it went on the market and it kind of lay dormant for a couple of years. And a local museum nearby, the Yankee Air Museum, decided that maybe part of, oh, and then it was slated for the wrecking ball. You know, they couldn't sell it and it had to be destroyed. But some visionaries at this local museum decided, well, maybe we can save a part of it and it can become, you know, and the museum can use it for storage or or a new museum facility or, or whatever, but we can't let all of this history be destroyed. I mean, the bottom line was a five and a half square million foot factory that nobody wants to buy. You know, just there really is no, right. there's no way of preserving it. However, through the museum Save the Bomber Plant campaign, a small portion of it, I think about 500,000 square feet, was saved from the wrecking ball and still exists today. And you can see it. You can drive out to Willow Run Airport and the remaining portion of the bomber plant is right there and you can see it. And it's kind of the most exciting portion because it's the two gigantic 
bay doors at the end of the double assembly line where the finished bombers rolled out onto the tarmac of Willow Run uh-huh. Airport to be to have their guns tested and to be test flown and then to be flown off and delivered to Air Force bases around the, the country. Wow. Yeah. That's very cool. I'm glad and I asked those, that question. those Bombay doors, they, I mean, they still work. They still operate perfectly, and they go up and down, and one of my little old Rosie the Riveters had the pleasure of pushing the button and raising the lowering, raising and lowering them recently. I'll bet she was thrilled. Yeah. Now, Jeanette, were there any influential individuals or unsung heroes who played a vital role in supporting the Rosie the Riveter movement that often go unnoticed? I think the best answer to that would be Eleanor Roosevelt who really campaigned hard. She was very influential during World War II. She campaigned pretty hard for this movement of getting women into the workforce and doing it right away. I mean, they were active. The government was active in planning this and setting it in motion, like right after Pearl Harbor. And Eleanor Roosevelt and Labor Secretary Frances Perkins, and that's Frances with an E-S, so she was a lady, both really championed the idea that women were going to be needed in the workforce en masse, and let's do everything we can to get them in there and override any opposition. Okay. Yeah, I always get a little choked up whenever I think about Eleanor Roosevelt. She did so much for this country. I really admire her. And she also, along with several women, but the name that comes floats to the top of mind is Jacqueline Cochran, an early female aviator. They were also influential in putting together the WASP, the Women's Air Service Pilots, who were a civilian corps that assisted the U.S. Army Air Force with sort of stateside and training operations and ferrying planes so that the male airmen could be freed up to fight. And so there's a lot of resistance to that. You know, women can't fly planes. Right. You know, and Amelia Earhart was an outlier, you know, but in general, you can't expect a woman, woman to fly a plane. <laughs> so, you know, and they, so, you know, Eleanor drove that as well. Yep. Fantastic. Now, based on your relationships with Rosebuds that you know, how did the Rosie the Riveter movement affect the expectations and aspirations of young girls who were growing up during World War II? During World War II or like the daughters of the Rosies that grew up afterwards? Because I know that for those of us who grew up afterwards in the 60s and 70s with Rosie the Riveter moms, there was either a stated or unstated idea that we really could do anything we wanted. I mean, even though there were still strong gender roles and there were expectations, the message we got from our moms was, yeah, honey, if you want to do it, go ahead. You know, I know you can. And that's the spirit that those women brought to their daughters. And a lot of Rosebuds, well, one Rosebud friend who was uh, grew up in the late 60s and early 70s and and got into her career, like, say, in the early to mid-70s, I would say. And that was still a time where there were gender expectations for, with respect to what you decided to do with your life. But she went into construction. 
And she just never doubted. And she was kind of, you know, one of the pioneer women in that male-dominated field. But she never doubted that she could do it because her mom was a Rosie the Riveter. Mm, right. And her and her sister was a pioneer in law enforcement, you know, being the first female deputy in a local sheriff's office near here. Yeah, and I think, I, at least I hope, that we've come a long way in changing our expectations about women. You know, I, I mean, yeah, the 21st Rosie century. started it. And then when their daughters, you know, started openly questioning, you know, these expectations, the Rosie mom supported us. I hope it's not even a question anymore about what women yeah, can or can't I, do. They can do anything. Yep. Back in those days when the Rosies were coming into the factories and so on, what were some of the challenges faced by working mothers who were also Rosies? How did they balance their work and family responsibilities during the war with their men gone overseas? Oh, that was tough. And going back to Eleanor and Francis, Eleanor Roosevelt and Francis Perkins, in laying out this program, um, they knew that that would be an issue. And they considered mandating that, you know, in return for receiving a government uh, war production contract, they considered mandating that you would have to supply childcare mm. for the women workers. And in the end, they decided not to. They felt that already they were mandating a lot. There were a lot of requirements to get a government contract. One of them was that you had to accept unionism if your employees wanted it. So that was a big one. You know, that was a, a big thing that they were imposing on these manufacturers who were all anti-union. So they decided that mandating childcare was just a little bit too much, and they didn't do it. And but also, you have to realize that it was a different time. You know, you taught, there was more community back then. You know, you've heard the the saying, "It takes a village to raise a child." Well, back then there kind of were villages that did participate in child rearing, and so they figured that between extended families and neighbors that the women would be able to make do on their own. And, uh, you know, childcare was certainly a huge challenge for a working young mother whose husband, you know, either was working too to take advantage of the fabulous, you know, war production salaries or wages or was off fighting. It was really a huge challenge, but they, they leaned on their communities. Like some had extended families in the area. Families were larger then. And even if they didn't, even if they had moved north from the south for a war job with small children in tow, people who lived in the same apartment building would pull together. You know, one mom who was off shift would watch the kids while, you know, another slept, another worked a shift. The kids would like travel around through the oh, apartment building yeah. or the neighborhood. They pitched in together. People were Communities were closer knit and neighbors were more neighbor, neighborly. So that was possible. Another Rosie I know worked at the Willow Run Bomber Plant, but shipped her kids to a farm family in a nearby farm community during the week and then went out and visited them on Sunday. And, you know, it was a time where you could kind of trust someone you didn't know real well with your kids. I mean, it was people were. How do I put it? There was just more community back then. So in putting together the, the campaign to get women into the workforce, they did consider this and they considered it strongly. But in the end, they didn't want to burden the 
you know, the industry any more than they were with requirements. And they also realized that communities and families and women would be able to make it work and they were able to make it work. Now, that said, some factories did on their own put together daycare programs for their women workers, which was a wonderful thing. And it was the first time we'd ever seen that. So it was kind of the birth of daycare. It wasn't widespread. I, I, I know of only one company in our area that did that, and it was a smaller company. However, I understand that on the West Coast, some of the factories did actually have daycare programs. Fantastic. Now, the Rosies today, the original Rosies, are in their 80s, 90s, 100s. And they're more like 90s, 100s. They're like 95 to over 100. Yeah. What do they say about modern examples of women who embody the spirit of Rosie the Riveter today? Who are they? I don't see that they're like focused on, I don't know, celebrities or, or figures of leadership so much as they're really proud of their daughters and granddaughters and you know, really excited about their great-granddaughters and everything that they've done and accomplished, everything that their daughters and granddaughters have done and accomplished and are, and they are very proud of opening doors. That wasn't what they went into it to do, and that still isn't the main thing that they think about when they think about their their work on the home front. They think about bringing the boys home and everyone working together and winning the war and getting back to normal. and you know, that was what they went into it to do. And that was what they accomplished. But they are also very proud of opening doors. Yeah. Okay. So they don't have like heroes of today that they say, ah, that lady is a Rosie the Riveter in her heart kind of nah, thing. No, they don't. Okay. Are there any specific anecdotes or stories that provide insight into the emotional and psychological experiences of Rosie's during and after the war? Well, certainly that sense of confidence and accomplishment, but they're also <laughs> very proud, but very humble at the same time of what they did to help win the war. And I say humble because they're getting kind of used to the attention now, but when I first met them, they were just like, oh, what are you talking about? I just did what everybody else did. You know, I'm not a hero. And they were just really, you know, kind of surprised by, the admiration they got from younger women like me and they they just did what they were asked to do and and they just did what was right they just did what was needed and for them to realize now that they're kind of they're considered heroes and icons heroines of the home front i guess i guess it means a lot to them and they kind of even if they don't quite agree with it, they, yeah. they accept it and they kind of see why we feel this way. And I think it feels good to them. Good. I'm glad. I'm really glad. Because they did quite a, quite a thing for the country. That's what I tell them. That, yeah. But they're still like, oh, really? Everyone did it. And you know, the World War II veterans are the same, same way. You know, hey, I did what was asked. So did all of my buddies. They are. <laughs> They are the same way. They're very humble about yeah. it. Now, does your organization capture oral interviews from the Rosie? Yeah, we, we do. Our Oregon chapter recently captured some oral history interviews with uh, four or five living Rosies, along with some historical 
information from historian Sig Unander. And you can look that up. Sig is S-I-G. Unander is U-N-A-N-D-E-R. And he produced a wonderful video with these oral histories alongside some, you know, historical context. And I think those first person stories and words are important to capture. Now, our chapter in partnership with the Motor Cities National Heritage Area, uh, did an it, oral history interview in the setting of the Detroit Historical Museum's Arsenal of Democracy exhibit, beautiful backdrop, of Rosie the Riveter Clara Doubtly. And probably the best way to do that is to go to YouTube and search for Clara Doubtly, C-L-A-R-A-D-O-U-T-L-Y and look for the interview video. And she talks about, you know, working in an aircraft factory in Detroit, experiences as an African-American Rosie, you know, what it was like in Detroit in the beginning in the middle of the century, such a vibrant city. And she's she's still, still with us. She's 102 years old and she is sharp as a tack and she has a great sense of humor. And she's just a joy to be around and a joy to watch on video. Oh, and we also captured an oral history of our World War II veteran friend, Cliff Elvira, who was there at Omaha Beach, 6.30 a.m. on D-Day. And we captured his oral history within the parameters of the Library of Congress's World War II oral history program and submitted it to the Library of Congress. Oh, very cool. Omaha Beach got clobbered. Utah Beach wasn't so bad. I mean, it was bad, but it wasn't as bad as Omaha Beach. Omaha was the worst, and they made a great movie about it called The Longest Day. Yeah. With Richard Burton and, uh, you know, cast of stars. So I, I highly recommend that. Absolutely. Now, what kinds of volunteer opportunities does your organization have for members and the public? Well, you know, once you join, look at the newsletter, get involved in a chapter near you. We have some national programs. We have a student grant program. So if you have a youngster in the family, you know, who wants to join as a Rosebud or Rosie friend or whatever and participate in the student grant program, that youngster can put together an educational Rosie the Riveter presentation aimed at fellow youngsters or adults or the community or any, any, anybody and get a grant to put it together and present it. We have a Rosie's Rally Around the Troops program where, where we make greeting cards for our active troops, and you can participate that way. You can participate in chapter activities with your local chapter, and this is important here. If you don't have, a, if you go on our website, you look at where our chapters are located, and you don't have a chapter in your area, I encourage you to start one. It's pretty easy to do, and and get involved and honor Rosie in your own way, in your own community, and engage with your community. And you don't have to have living Rosies in your group to have a chapter. Our chapter is lucky enough to have still about five or six living Rosies and two or three World War II veterans that we interact with and honor and provide fellowship for. But if you don't have a living Rosie in your area, to focus activities around. You can focus on education, community engagement, Rosie awareness, community service. There are so many things you can do to keep the Rosie the Riveter spirit alive, supporting troops, you know, with cards and letters and and care packages, community beautification, planting Rosie the Riveter rose gardens. 
There are just so many ways that you can keep that unity, community spirit, patriotism, and work ethic alive that Rosie the Riveter symbolizes. To start a chapter, you just contact the, the national organization and say, I want to start a chapter and they will guide you? Absolutely. It's okay. that easy. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you. Can you share with the audience an overview of the communities you serve in the area? Well, our chapter is based in Southeast Michigan. and. First and foremost, our focus is on representing our parent organization. So everything we do is just sort of under the banner of ARA and contains an element of ARA awareness because we got involved, because we learned about ARA and joined and decided to support its mission of preserving Rosie's legacy. So in everything we do, we want to day and and make people aware of that we are ARA. And this is what we, we're doing and, and you can join us. And that way we ensure that there's you know a steady stream of new volunteers for ARA that keep Rosie's legacy going. So you know we never hide our identity. It's just always right out there. This is ARA, these are the ARA Rosies, these are the ARA Rosebuds. So you know first and foremost we are representing ARA. And I would say since we have so many living Rosies and World War II vets, involved in our chapter, really our focus after that is serving them in whatever way works for them with their changing abilities and whatever way works for their families. So whether it's bringing them out to the public to be honored and recognized, or whether it's like smaller fellowship gatherings where they can be together with each other and chat and enjoy each other in a low-key setting. And if they're homebound, we reach out to them in their homes. We'll pay rosy honor visits or we send them, you know, little tokens and gifts in the mail. We have a cards and letters program where last year we sent, let me get the number, 667 birthday and other greetings to homebound Rosie the Riveters and veterans through our World War II veterans through our cards and letters program. So outreach is important because they can't all get out for us to honor them. So we honor them where they are. So that's really important, serving the Rosies and veterans. Then we serve our other members by giving them different ways to interact with and honor the Rosies and veterans, you know, whether it's by coming out to our events or whether it's participating in cards and letters. You know, we we just give them different ways. We have uh, the Sisterhood of the Traveling Crafts, which is a box of, of craft supplies that travels around, you know, from Rosebud to Rosebud. It's traveling right now. (laughs) And the Rosebuds are making valentines for the Rosies and Vets, handmade valentines, and that we'll send out in time for Valentine's Day. So we want to serve ARA's mission, keep ARA going, because without ARA, none of this happens. And we want to serve the Rosies and Vets, honor them, provide fellowship and appreciation, and thank them while they're here to receive our thanks. And we want to serve and involve our other members. and. We also want to serve our communities and engage with communities and get them involved in honoring the Rosie the Riveters that they might have in their communities. And we do that through our special events, through planting Rosie the Riveter Rose Gardens in surrounding communities, through partnering with organizations, both local, national, and even international, to honor Rosie the Riveter, and by giving 
rosy educational presentations where we can actually kind of like what you and I are doing here today, we can actually deeply educate people about Rosie the Riveter, what she did, everything she stands for, and, you know, her place in history and, you know, what happened during World War II and why Rosie helped us win that war. So there's just like a lot of threads to tie together there. And, you know, it all weaves into a picture of Rosie the Riveter and the wonderful unity and work ethic and patriotism that she represents. You mentioned international connections. There were other Rosies in other countries in Europe and, and abroad that where women had to go into factories, right? Yeah, they got women involved in production in Britain. I'm not sure they called her Rosie the Riveter, but they, they got women in, involved in production, and particularly they had the Women's Land Army where women went out to run the farms while the men were off, you know, oh. fighting in Europe. And then in Canada, you know, they had a similar campaign to get women into the factories. And they also used the Rosie the Riveter nickname in Canada, too. But they also did a really neat propaganda publicity campaign with this one little gal who worked in a factory in Toronto. And she was known as Ronnie the Bread Gun Girl. Because <laughs> her uh, factory manufactured a type of small arms that was called a Bren gun. And Hitler didn't do that. Hitler very pointedly wanted to keep women, you know, the, the Aryan women belonged in the home and not in the factories. And that was what he chose. And he lost the war. <laughs> Absolutely. Thankfully. Yes. What got me, you know, over the weekend, I was listening to some I was listening actually to the D-Day invasion and, and the first news reports in the United States about the D-Day invasion and nothing was certain and nothing was known. You know, today we look back and we know all about it. We know every detail about it. But yeah. back then they knew nothing and, and the first news reports were coming in and they thought they were fake and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, it was yeah, certainly not... What not known. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was a huge gamble. And then with not really launching on the day that they, they wanted to launch and waiting till the next day because of the choppy seas yeah. and Eisenhower's decision, well, you know, it's still uncertain in terms of the weather, but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to launch anyway. And I am just, I just cannot imagine what Eisenhower went through in the run-up to that day and that day. And it's just a, a wonder that he wasn't eaten alive by his ulcers <laughs> from the inside <laughs> by the end of the day. Yeah. But he made the right decisions, and it was it was a, absolutely the turning point. It was the beginning of the end of the war. Absolutely. Yep, thankfully. And thanks to the Rosies for all of that equipment that they used. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and our World War II veterans they are very aware of that and they're very grateful and they'll say things like you know with these ladies you know with these ladies having our our backs it's it's no wonder we won so what's coming up on the horizon for the organization are there any upcoming exhibitions or events that the community should look forward to well we are partnering with um 
several manufacturing councils in Michigan and the state capitol and other organizations in uh, organizing a second, the second annual Rosie Day at the Capitol in Lansing, Michigan. And last year was the first. And um, and we got uh, over 700 people out to the Michigan State Capitol building in Lansing for an event honoring a group of living Rosies and World War II veterans that were there. and culminating in a group photograph of everyone there that day arrayed on the Capitol steps. So it was a really fun and wonderful event. And with the organization, led by the Capitol Area Manufacturing Council, what it sought to do and what it did really beautifully was bring together women in manufacturing today, of which there are tens and of thousands, if not, you know, hundreds of thousands of women actively involved in manufacturing at every level, from C-suite, you know, to the factory floor, and bringing these women together with the women who started it all, the Rosie the Riveters. That had to be a wonderful day. Yeah, and just celebrating that legacy and where it's gone and the incredible contributions of women to the manufacturing industry and by extension to every industry. It was a really fun day. There was a wonderful spirit there. Lots of, most people dressed up in Rosie the Riveter costume. So it was made for a great picture (laughs) of all these Rosie the Riveters, modern day, and, uh, you know, the real Rosies from back in the day, all gathered together at the beautiful Capitol building on the steps. So we're looking forward to having that again this year. And it is Thursday, March 21st. And it's in honor of National Rosie the Riveter Day. That is actually Rosie the Riveter Day. It's from 3 to 5 p.m. at our state capitol in Lansing, and registration is open. So Thursday, March 31st, and do they go to the Willow Run chapter website in order to... Oh, no. They would go to, if you Google Rosie Day at the Capitol, we are partnering with lots of, you know, Lots of much bigger, stronger organizations than our little chapter. Okay. And I guess the uh, main organization is the Capital Area Manufacturing Council, and they are just uh, a joy to work with. Absolutely, you know, playing our our part in this event is is just joyful when you work with a fantastic organization like the Capital Area Manufacturing Council. So if you Google Rosie Day at the Capital. Michigan, Lansing, 2024, you'll come up with the information page and the uh, registration page. Okay, I'll go Google that. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, it's time for us to take a short break for a few minutes. Okay. All right, listeners, we'll be right back after these important messages. with the American Rosie the Riveter Association 
where the indomitable spirit of World War II comes alive. Join us in celebrating the unsung heroes, the Rosies, who took up the mantle, proving to the world and themselves, we can do it. The American Rosie the Riveter Association invites you to connect with these remarkable women, the trailblazers who fearlessly embraced the challenges of a man's job during World War II. But it's more than just history, it's a journey of camaraderie and shared experiences. Join us for fellowship opportunities and vibrant social activities that bring generations together. Discover the wisdom and inspiration of the Rosies and their friends, the World War II veterans. Hear their stories, honor their sacrifices, and learn from their indelible legacy. Don't miss out on this opportunity to be part of something extraordinary. Visit www.rosytheriveter.net and join the American Rosie the Riveter Association today. Because the spirit of the Rosies lives on. Together, let's honor their legacy and inspire generations to come. Let me try to get to sleep this way. Not really all that tired yet. Hmm. Can't stop wondering. I wonder how much of Main Street was destroyed during the fire in 1962 when our family's cleaning store burned down. Hmm. I wonder if mom and dad know anything about how our town got its name. I'll ask mom tomorrow. Maybe a weekend trip to the historical society with the kids. Might be a good chance for them to volunteer. Ah, oh, I think I'll paint the bedroom a grayish blue. That'll be nice and soothing. It's more of a 19th century color, like I saw at the museum. I sure would like to know more about Cedar Falls, Iowa. I'm pretty sure I saw an episode on preservationoaks.podbean.com about that. The ocean sounds are supposed to make you sleep, but you don't feel sleepy, you're wide awake with curiosity. Indulge your curiosity by listening to the Preservation Oaks podcast. <sighs> it's gonna be alright. You'll get what you want. More Preservation Oaks instead of ocean sounds. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to another episode of Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to professionals from museums, cultural, genealogical, and historical societies across the United States. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. All right. That's much better. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard this historic tour flight. This is your flight attendant speaking. Please turn on all personal podcast playing electronic devices and fasten your seatbelts as we're expecting some turbulence over the middle of our country. From there, we might stop over in Iowa for a spellbinding weekend before making our final descent into Mobile, Alabama in the mid-19th century. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy your historic tour with the Preservation Oaks podcast. There's another way to get away and relax anytime you like. Just listen to another episode of the Preservation Oaks podcast. It's free, and it's an excellent way to enjoy the history and uniqueness of our country. The tour is on us. Enjoy.
And now, back to preservation oak. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. We are here today with Jeanette Gutierrez, the president of the Michigan Willow Run chapter of the American Rosie the Riveter Association. Welcome back, Jeanette. Hey, Sean Thomas. I'm all charged up now learning about the contributions of the Rosies in World War II and the work your association is doing to help honor them. Let's pick up where we left off. Okay. What kind of funding model supports the organization and what are your funding goals this year? Our funding model is pretty simple. It doesn't cost an awful lot to run our organization because we don't have a physical facility. So it's mainly focused on outreach, special events and programs and finding the funding for that. And our main source of funding for this past year, and I, I just ran the numbers and did the annual report for the year. Our main source of funding was our educational Rosie slideshow presentation that our officers give. And we ask an honorarium for that presentation. And the honorariums from that form the majority of, you know, the majority of our, our incoming funds. Another important source of income is unsolicited donations, which will come in, you know, Randomly over the transom, we'll just get a, a generous donation from somebody in the community. So that is probably the, the next most important source of funds. We don't want to present ourselves as a fundraising organization, so we don't solicit donations. And none of our events are fundraisers for our organization, our members, or our activities, because we want to keep uh, the focus on events on uh, our Rosie the Riveters and World War II veterans. So we kind of present ourselves as an honor organization and not a fundraising organization. So we just don't really, you know, it's not something, we, we don't ask for funds. We don't really talk a lot about, about it or, or present ourselves as needing funds. It just kind of happens behind the scenes through unsolicited donations and the honorariums that we ask for our Rosie presentation. And that has worked out really well for us. And how that got started, and this is a shout out to the Motor Cities National Heritage Area, which is charged with preserving our automotive heritage in Michigan. And they are a part of the National Park Service. And they're just an amazing organization that stitches together historical organizations and museums in the area that are related to the auto industry. And we won a grant from them a couple of years ago. And as part of the grant writing process, they asked us to do a sustainability study where what they were basically asking us is, okay, so next year when you don't have this grant money, how are you going to come up with it? And it was a wonderful exercise and it brought our chapter to a new level of maturity in that we had to think about, hey, how is it, how are we going to do this going forward? And it was through that 
valuable exercise that we decided that the Rosie presentations could fund our operations. So we had like a year to set in motion like a way or a program of increasing those presentations to a target number that would ensure the sustainability of our chapter. And we did it. So a shout out to MCNHA and their amazing grant program and how it helped us mature as a as a group and not to mention the grant money really kicked us into a higher gear that year and we have been able to sustain that higher gear you know because of the thinking that they encouraged us to do yeah. oh and also since i'm talking about the mcnha the motor cities national heritage organization and then I also mentioned our partnerships with, with other organizations that are so valuable to us. We partnered last year in involving our Rosie, Clara Doubtly, in an exhibit in the Automotive Hall of Fame here in Michigan that was entitled African Americans in Automotive. And Clara was one of the, you know, representing all of the African-American Rosie the Riveters during the war. Clara was a featured individual in that exhibit, which ran for most of 2023 at the Automotive Hall of Fame. And that partnership was enabled by, it was the MCNHA, the Motor Cities National Heritage Area, that connected us with the Automotive Hall of Fame in order to include Clara in that exhibit. That's the Motor really City cool. National Heritage Area has just been a wonderful, wonderful partner and a wonderful asset to our group. And then the, the partnership with the Automotive Hall of Fame, you know, again, preserved a valuable Rosie story and made it available to a larger public. Now, where do you normally do your presentations? I mean, I, I can picture like museums and schools and... Yeah, so museums... Civic groups, DAR chapters are always interested in our presentation. I'm working right now with the Central Michigan University's athletic department and presenting the story of Rosie the Riveter to their student athletes. And it kind of also spreads by word of mouth. We gave 13 Rosie presentations last year. And so far we have four or five on the docket for this year and, you know, hopefully many more. Oh, I'm going to be giving a, a presentation to the EAA, an EAA chapter at a local airport. So lots of, lots of different groups are interested Very in, cool. in learning more about Rosie. Very cool. And we, we love to tell them. That really keeps history alive. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, you know, find they have a Rosie in the family and they join our organization and it just uh, keeps the Rosie spirit going. Jeanette, can you tell me about membership in your organization and what types of more specialized certificates or other programs your organization has? Yeah, when you join the American Rosie the Riveter Association, which you join through the, the national, the national website, rosietheriveter.net, you'll get a lovely certificate signed by our national president stating that you're a member. Or if you have registered your family, Rosie, with us who is deceased, you will receive a similar certificate acknowledging that your, you know, your deceased relative is, an, is recognized as a Rosie the Riveter by our organization. And 
once you are joined, you can participate in our Rosie Stories program, which is where you can send in like a full story of your family Rosie in even digital digital assets, you know, like scans of photographs or employee badges or or whatever you might have. And that goes into our digital archives. And we produce the the National American Rosie the Riveter produces. Oh, and this relates back to, you know, preserving history and interviews. We have published seven Rosie Stories books, and they're available online at our national website, rosetheriveter.net, navigate to the Rosie Shop. And our Rosie Stories books each contain about a hundred individual rosy stories they're about a page or page and a half two pages long and they're just really fun to read and absolutely fascinating gosh i hope those are all over in school libraries yeah i I would hope so too and then also you can uh memorialize your family rosy on the american rosy the riveter association's Rosie Honor Roll Wall, which is hosted at a local museum here in Michigan. And each Rosie is represented by a plaque on the wall. And our chapter manages that that display. And we are getting close to a thousand Rosies that are memorialized and honored in this display. That is very cool. Now, you can also give memberships as gifts. So if you know somebody in your family that was a Rosie or or is a Rosebud, which if I I understand it correctly, is a daughter of a Rosie, right? Or granddaughter or great-granddaughter. Yeah. Then you can give the membership as a gift. What a wonderful gift. Absolutely. And, And that always happens every year around the holiday time is somebody will buy memberships for their daughters and granddaughters and, and grandsons as rivets, and the whole family will join. And the certificates are given as a Christmas gift. But give us a couple months, because we're all volunteers. We're an all-volunteer organization, and our, our membership gals are volunteers as well. So, you know, it can take like eight weeks or so for, for a membership to be processed and for memberships to be processed and the certificates to go out. Okay. Well, well, that makes sense. I want to give the yeah. contact information one more time. The Michigan that Willow is. Run chapter is www.michiganrosies.org. You can find them on Facebook at Michigan Rosies. And the national organization where you get your membership and you can register your deceased ancestor or you can give gift memberships is www.rosytheriveter.net. Okay, fantastic. I know I talked to my sister Judy, who was born during the war, and she said my Aunt Elsie worked in a factory during the war making bullets in Indianapolis, and that my grandmother worked during the war repairing radios. Oh, wow, that is fabulous, Rosie history. And there, there was a lot more going on than just building tanks and airplanes, like the obvious stuff. Production factories all across America converted to war production. So, you know, if if they were making civilian radios before the war, all of a sudden they were making radios for tanks and planes. You know, there's just an amazing variety of, of job descriptions and products produced. 
during the war, and that's reflected in your family story. What kind of outreach and education does the organization undertake within the community and the state of Michigan? I know you do your presentations, but I, I was reading you also do a holiday event. Yeah, okay, so we have three chapters now in Michigan. And it's important to note that each ARA chapter kind of has its own activity mix. And that is dictated by, you know, the needs of their community, how they how best to interact with their community to preserve Rosie's legacy, whether or not they have living Rosies in the chapter to honor. And some, most a lot of chapters don't because these gals are, you know, all around 100 years old. And I guess the, also just the talents and personalities of the, of the chapter members themselves. So not all chapters are doing the exact same thing. And that's wonderful because there are as many ways to honor Rosie as there are Rosebuds, Rivets, 21st Century Rosies, and Rosie Friends. And so of our three chapters in Michigan, our chapter kind of focuses on our Living Rosies and Vets. We have an amazing chapter in the north, our Sheboygan and Emmett Counties chapter. And they have some homebound Rosies, and their president is also a very skilled writer and journalist. And so she has gone into the homes of these Rosies and done in-depth interviews and captured their stories in just a really wonderful, meaningful, professional way and published them in, you know, local news outlets up there. So you can see that it's just kind of dictated by who the chapter members are, what they enjoy or are good at doing, and what there is in the community. And also up there, they engage in a lot of community beautification in planting rosy rose gardens and setting up rosy monuments and statues in their area. Then they also engage in true community service. Recently, I was, I was just so delighted to see them. They were dressed in their rosy costume and they made a cute little video promoting a local community event that was raising money and gathering gifts and food for families in need in their community. And there our Rosebuds were dressed as Rosie, encouraging people to come to this event and help other members of their community. And so, um, you know, I really think that service is part of the Rosie spirit. Yeah. And, oh, what else do those gals do? Oh, they, they set up an exhibit in their one of their local museums they actually built and created and set up a Rosie the Riveter exhibit. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so that, And so I'm talking all about them because <laughs> I think they're amazing. And I think that what they do is kind of the future of Aura when our living Rosies are gone. We have to carry their spirit forward and their legacy and show people. We have to show people ourselves what Rosie the Riveter was about. Now, our chapter, we're super focused on the living Rosies and vets so we can make their remaining years with us as amazing as possible. And we recently put on a holiday concert for Rosie at a beautiful local auditorium. And singer Corey Strong sang for the Rosies and his performance was his gift to the Rosies. And the concert was the Rosies gift to the community. So it was free to attend, it was open to the community, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful event where Corey gave back to the Rosies, and the Rosies and our group gave back to the community. 
and it was at the auditorium was the most beautiful auditorium in our you know in our community it was the Towsley Auditorium at the Morris Lawrence building at Washington Community College just a beautiful space and Washington Community College graciously you know donated the use of that that wonderful venue and that's the kind of thing that our chapter does like kind of large splashy special events in partnership with other organizations and always with the ARA organizational identity attached and we like to bring together different members of the community different parts of the community and serve the community and have it all be centered around Rosie. Yeah, that looks like a fantastic. Do you have pictures of that up on your Facebook page, the holiday event? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. What's the easiest method for members of the public to donate to the association? Well, to donate to our chapter and our activities, go online to our chapter website, michiganrosies.org, navigate to the contact form, um, indicate that you'd like to donate, and you know we'll get in touch with you, and it's as easy as writing a check made out to our Willow Run. And we don't like have a GoFundMe or a PayPal or anything, because as I said, we, we want to be perceived as an honor organization and not a fundraising organization. And we don't actively solicit donations. But if you're inspired, we would, oh, we would so appreciate it. And it would help us to honor our Rosies and Vets. And, and it can be done just simply by contacting us through the website. And then likewise, for the national organization, you can go to the national website, rosieriveter.net. And then again, through the contact form, contact us. Or, oh, and I'd... I'm not sure if I'm correct or not, but I think if you navigate to the Rosie Shop section of our national website where we have wonderful, cute Rosie the Riveter items for sale that make great gifts, I believe there's one item that you can click where you can make a donation. Oh, okay. But, right. but if you can't find that, then, then just go through the contact form and contact the National ARA and say you'd like to donate. All right. Thank you for that. Can you tell the audience about any current initiatives or needs of your association that you want the people of your area to know about and support? I would say definitely join us as a member, you know, building membership. I mean, becoming a member for me was the first step to being in this position and getting involved in a chapter and planning all of these activities. And the more members that we have, the more people will get involved and the more we can preserve Rosie's legacy. So definitely just to join is is a huge, you know, a huge benefit to us. Also, you can help out our chapter by, oh, and then once you join, then you'll find out all about, you know, the wonderful things that we're doing and come to events. You know, you don't have to be a volunteer organizer. I'm not going to put you to work. <laughs> just come out and, and, and enjoy our events and meet the Rosies and Vets and, and have fun with us. And, we're always looking for people who, who want to do that. And you can participate in our Cards and Letters program and help us bring joy and greetings to the Rosies and Vets. Then also, if you know anyone, you know, within a 50, 100-mile radius of our home base of Ypsilanti who wants an entertaining and educational Rosie slideshow presentation, hook us up. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. 
And do you do presentations across the country? Like if somebody who doesn't have a chapter would like a presentation, they can connect with you and you'll give them a presentation, even if they're in like another state? I will do, uh, I have done Zoom presentations. So, you know, that's certainly something that can be arranged. I would say if you're far flung across the country, first check on the National Rosie the Riveter website, rosetheriveter.net, and see if you have a chapter in your area, because chances are they're giving wonderful presentations, and maybe they could help you out. Okay. Jeanette, what are your thoughts about how best to keep the history of the Rosies and community support flourishing for the current generation, the K-12 through kids? I would say making them aware, if you can do it through the schools and the curricula that the schools have set up, you know, going into the schools and talking to the kids, it's not as easy as it used to be. Curricula are pretty, I don't know, well-defined these days. We reach people more through community events, and kids will come out to that, and they'll want to know, you know, well, who are these ladies? You know, what's going on? Who are these people? And you get to tell them about Rosie the Riveter. We did a fun event with some Girl Scouts. One of our chapter Rosebuds came up with this brilliant idea. Thanks, Peggy of setting up a, an aircraft production line using balsa wood aircraft. And instead of each kid assembling their own aircraft, the aircraft moved down the line of kids in a production line. And one kid, you know, one girl even functioned as the inspector and, you know, approving the finished plane to see if it could go to the Air Force or not. And that was a wonderful, hands-on, fun way for the kids to learn about exactly what the Rosie did. Wow, that was very cool. Yeah. Good idea, Peggy. Yeah, yeah. Is there any other information or message you'd like the community or members to know about? I think it's important that we not forget the spirit in which the Rosies came forward and did their work, which was to help their country, and that we not forget the unity that we experienced as a nation during World War II. We were all working together towards one goal. We were preserving our country. We were also saving the world. It was, I don't know, it really was one of our finest moments as a nation, if not our finest. And I would like everyone to, I don't know, keep keep that, hold that in their heart. And I see Rosie the Riveter as an icon and a character that speaks to everyone. And I think she carries that, that message and that spirit. Yeah, I agree with you. It was the ultimate act of service for everybody in the country to shift. Men shifted into service in the military. Women shifted into service in manufacturing and other jobs that men had to vacate. Yeah. yeah. And um, every type and kind of American pulled together. I mean, we're, we're all Americans, yeah. you know, the, the Tuskegee's took to the air, the Navajo code talkers created an unbreakable code that turned the tide of the war in the Pacific. I mean, every, every last one of us worked together. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. Thank you for that. Good to remember. Good to remember. Reflecting just a bit, how do you think your members, volunteers, and the community view you and the association in terms of benefit and value? 
I think the Rosies and the families really appreciate, I think the Rosies really appreciate the fellowship and the families really love sitting back and seeing their ma or their grandma honored, you know, and made a fuss. I think made a fuss over. I think it's fun for like if my mom or dad were still living, I would just love sitting back and and watching as people came up and talked to them. And, you know, I, I, I would just love it. And I think I see that, you know, in, in our Rosie families. And I think our members appreciate being a part of honoring these men and women and i think our communities also like to have a way to honor their community rosies for example with the rosy rose gardens i think that means a lot to them i think it means a lot to the families of deceased rosies to have a way to honor honor their rosie and to see her name you know preserved somewhere for eternity. And in terms of our communities, also I think our partner organizations, I mean, they've told me they feel like our participation and our 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 Rosies and veterans really bring a lot of added value to their programs, events, initiatives. And I really feel proud of that because that's another way of contributing to community is through, you know, amplifying the efforts of other community organizations. Thank you, Jeanette. Jeanette, I want to thank you for spending time with us today. I'm very honored to have you here representing these marvelous Rosies. You and your association are doing such excellent work. I want to thank you for your work to honor our World War II veterans and the Rosies. Well, thank thank you, Sean. It, It is truly an honor and a privilege to interact with these men and women and absolutely humbling, <laughs> as, as well as a lot of fun. A lot of fun. They're just fabulous people. They don't call them the greatest generation for nothing. That is true. And with that, we'll end our time with our guest, Ms. Jeanette Gutierrez, the president of the Michigan Willow Run chapter of the American Rosie the Riveter Association. What a wonderful organization and mission the American Rosie the Riveter Association has. I can't say enough about President Jeanette Gutierrez of the Michigan Willow Run Chapter. She has my undying respect and admiration for the work she and her fellow members do to recognize and honor the Rosies and veterans in the area. You might find yourself wondering, Why go through all this effort to acknowledge these women and veterans for simply doing their jobs? 
The constant emphasis on honoring them and recognizing their sacrifices may seem tedious, doesn't it? However, by paying tribute to the Rosies and our veterans, our people are acknowledging the profound sacrifices made by these individuals. Indeed, they fulfilled their duties, and that's precisely the point. They demonstrated unwavering dedication to their country, offering service regardless of their personal cost, impact on their families, or their own well-being. They stood together with their neighbors, committed to something larger than themselves, highlighting the significance of contributing to the well-being and security of our nation. As Jeanette said, we're all Americans, right? And that could not be truer. In times of hardship, strife, and war, our people come together, transcending political, cultural, and social divides as citizens collectively to appreciate the common values and freedoms we must all defend and fight for or lose. Honoring our country, our Rosies, and our veterans fosters a sense of patriotism and pride in our country. This positive sentiment inspires our citizens to actively participate in the betterment of our nation and to contribute to its prosperity. Recognizing our Rosies and veterans gives today's generation an opportunity to educate the public about the historical events in which these people played a significant role. This helps in preserving national history and ensuring that future generations understand the context of past events. It also serves as a reminder of the human cost of war. By acknowledging the service and sacrifices of the Rosies and our veterans, our country can reflect on the impact of these events on individuals, families, and communities, fostering a commitment to peace through strength and service. Recognizing the service of our Rosies and veterans contributes to our American values of diplomacy and peaceful conflict resolution. It encourages our society to work towards preventing future conflicts and finding nonviolent solutions to international disputes. As Pollyannish as this might sound, we simply must find effective methods to work together in the world without the need for war. We've been struggling with this since the dawn of time, and we must find a solution in order to scale to a sustainable space-faring planet. In essence, honoring our country, our Rosies, and our veterans provides a platform for reflection, education, and the promotion of values that contribute to the well-being and unity of our nation. It encourages our country to learn from its history and work together in unity towards a future characterized by peace and shared understanding. Now allow me to pose a question. Have you ever risen to the occasion, standing and working together and united with others in service for our country? If you haven't had a chance to do so yet, now is your opportunity. You have the option to contribute by joining the American Rosie the Riveter Association, either by initiating your own chapter or taking part in their exciting events. Even if there are no living World War II veterans or Rosies in your vicinity, you can still embrace the spirit of our nation the spirit of the Rosies and veterans, 
You can have a lot of fun from the experience while making a positive impact in your community through dedicated service. Several times Jeanette mentioned that ARA is not a fundraising organization, but rather an honor and service organization. It's so gratifying to see. They make their money by doing presentations for all manner of community and business groups. They don't solicit donations, but they're very grateful when they receive them. You can see that they continually do good. They continually help others. They continually make people's lives a bit better. They spread kindness, courage, and patriotism. So please, folks, help all you can. Please connect with either the National or Michigan Willow Run Chapter of the American Rosie the Riveter Association via the contact information in order to join and donate. Now you can contact the Michigan Willow Run Chapter at www.michiganrosies.org. You can find them on Facebook at Michigan Rosies. You can contact the national organization, and you must contact the national organization to join at www.rosytheriveter.net. If questions occur to you and you'd like more information, please connect with the association via the contact information I just provided. If you're a listener in the area the Willow Run chapter serves and you're not already a member, please consider joining and supporting them. I hope this information helps the audience understand how valuable the Michigan Willow Run chapter of the American Rosie the Riveter Association is to the community and what kinds of excellent benefits and fun they have to offer their members and the public. Both the National and the Michigan Willow Run chapter of the American Rosie the Riveter Association are truly one of our nation's preservation oaks, and thankfully so. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Music used today is from Symbol Bird, Light Beats, Doug Maxwell, Meteorite Productions, Music to Noise, Jay Blanks, and Scott Holmes. MicroStream Radio is a registered trademark. You can visit at microstreamradio.com. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted by MicroStream Radio. It cannot be rebroadcast downloaded, copied, or used anywhere without the written permission of MicroStream Radio. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you all next time on Preservation Oaks, and until then, as Sean would say, keep on giving, and keep on living the good life.